your future begins by receiving God's unconditional love for you. What if God's leading us to make some changes right now that are gonna position us as families and as a church to be a place of hope, to be a light for others? You are unique, God delights in you. He created you just as He wants you to be and we need you to be you. There's something inside of you that's like, man, I need more, I want more, I wanna take that step. I want my spiritual journey to look different because I've been settling. This place is to be dedicated for the things that we will covenant together and commit together to our Lord. Lord, never let this building become the focus of our ministry. Never. But let you and people be the focus and this be a tool that you use in a mighty way. Well, good morning. I am so excited to uh, teach from a book of the Bible that uh, a series was taught years ago on this book that really changed the life of Seacoast. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians in just a second. I want to welcome all of our campuses, all of our leaders from everywhere. Thank you for being here. Thank you for serving. Thank you for giving. Uh, what you're doing is making a huge difference. And um, I'm, I'm just excited because uh, the passage I'm going to teach from I believe, and I'm going to try to maybe prove it to you, is the most famous, well-known verse in the entire Bible, and it may not be the verse you think it is, so we're going to get there, and it's a verse that's misunderstood, so how's that for teasing you a little bit about where we're going? So um, that's where we're going. I want to pray uh, right now and ask God to, to be with us as we get into his truth, so pray with me. Lord, thank you that we get to be here. We get to be here. Um, and we ask you to move in ways, uh, we, we want to leave this place saying you were here and that you have done great things. Um, thank you that it's not about any messenger, it's about the message, and so may your truth come through um, and speak to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, the hardest thing to do in life is to be content with your life, and some of us are hardwired to not be content. And I think that's me because uh, my dad um, was a guy who graduated 10th grade and said, I think I got this school thing down. I'm good. And so he went into uh, the building trade, specifically excavation. We have a picture of my dad. This is um, uh, about four months before he died, he got to work right up until the end of his life uh, doing the thing that he loved. But my dad had this vision, and he said, um, I'm going to create this thing called a subdivision outside of the city limits. Now, that doesn't sound too extraordinary, but in 1976 in rural southern Illinois, it was a big deal. And so he created, he put in the roads and the sewers and, and did, built all the houses. And what would happen is we would uh, live in a house, for a couple years, and then he would build a new house, and we would live in that one. And this was like over and over again to the point that when I was a little guy, I would wake up not knowing which house I was in and try to walk somewhere and hit a door and I'd use the bathroom and closets that, used, that I thought were bathrooms at night. I mean, just because I never knew where I was. Now, what this did to me, I didn't really know it at the time, but later on, my wife and I buy our first house, and about two years in, I'm like, you ready to move? 
And every couple years, I get this itch that I just, because uh, of my dad's entrepreneurial and, you know, creative spirit, but I have a hard time being content with the place that I live. And, And I guarantee that maybe it's not a house for you. Maybe it's something else that kind of is wired in you to, to want to change. It's just the way it is, which is why I say the hardest thing to do in our lives is to be content with our lives. Now, I, thinking about me and thinking about this letter we're going to read, um, if I have a hard time being content in a house that keeps the rain out and the, the temperature appropriate, depending on the time of year, I wonder how I would do in jail. I don't want to find out, but I wonder how I would do in jail. Well, the guy who wrote this letter, the book of Philippians, was in jail, and he's in jail for his faith, um, and he writes to us a very counterintuitive message about joy, which is the theme of the book of Philippians. Now, we don't use the word joy in a sentence too much. Uh, I don't think you're going to describe your lunch today as a joyous occasion, uh, but, you, but we have our time with the word joy. We don't use it a lot, but what the book of Philippians does, it does use the word joy 16 times, in fact, in different forms, but it talks about joy in a different way, in a way that I think is a little bit more um, understandable, gives us some handles, and that is through the word contentment. The word contentment is two words that were smashed together uh, in the original language. One word means to be full or to, to have something just right. It's like when you go to Starbucks. And by the way, if you're a Christian, I think you have to go to Starbucks. I think it's in the Bible somewhere. But in, in Starbucks, let's just say you order a regular coffee. I'm not talking one of the frou-frou things, the, the latte, chai thing. I'm talking just coffee, man, just regular coffee. And, and, and they say to you as they're filling it up, do you want to leave what? Do you want to leave room? Why? Because they want it to be just full enough in case you want to add the sugar, add the Splenda, add the cream. So, so that's one part of the word contentment, to be just right, to be full. The other word is by yourself. In other words, the word contentment is to be just right, to be full by yourself. So this tells us about what contentment is. It's being okay where you are being okay with what you have, and being okay with who you are. Now, whatever you want to call it, you want to call that a joyous life, you want to call that a peaceful life, you want to call that a contented life, no matter what you call it, here's the truth. Everybody wants that. That's what everybody's after. And so Paul is telling us, listen, this isn't just a noble concept I'm throwing at you. This isn't just a good idea. I'm actually telling you that you are promised contentment. Now, it's weird because in Philippians 4.11, it tells us that we, there, there's a way to learn contentment, but we're a promised contentment. It says if we have food and clothing, we're to be content. And some of you know that, what that's like, maybe a time in your life, maybe in college, maybe just after college, uh, where you didn't have anything basically but the clothes on your back and a little food in your stomach, and you were happy as a clam, right? And then you get all this stuff, and all of a sudden you're sad. Right? Or you ever meet people, you ever, you know, cross cultures and go overseas and see people who have nothing, and yet they're so full of joy, and then you meet some of the wealthiest people, and they're so miserable. What's up with that? Well, they're not getting in on this promise. We are promised contentment. But we are also commanded to be content. The writer of Hebrews says that we are to keep ourselves free from the love of money. That's a tall order. But it says we are to be content with what we have. So the Bible promises and commands contentment. 
Now let's go from scripture to self. Let's go from the principles to people. What does it mean to be content? I want you to, I want you to rank yourself one to 10, okay? One to 10. 10 is you're surprised you're currently not in heaven. That's how content you are. One, you're surprised you're currently not in the fetal position, okay? Now, you cannot choose five. Do you see the red X? You cannot choose five on my scale. So write down your number right now. I want you to think about it. Where are you at? Just your first impulse. Where is it at? Where are you at? One to ten. If you don't have a pen, write it in your head. What's your number? All right, we'll come back to that. Now, so sometimes it's hard to understand these biblical principles, you know, you're like, okay, I think I understand contentment, but, but, but what does it really mean? Well, a lot of times what the Bible does, it describes its principle in defining its opposite. So sometimes you only understand what the Bible's teaching when it talks about its opposite. Well, the opposite of contentment is another C word. It's the word covet or coveting. And coveting makes the top 10, the 10 commandments. In fact, it's the last commandment. The last commandment, this is Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, anything that is your neighbor's. Now, coveting on one sense is just wanting what you don't have. That's one level, right? I don't like my house. I want a new one. I don't like my car, I want a new one. Finish with me. I don't like my job, I don't like my phone, I don't like my spouse. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so coveting on one says it's just wanting what you don't have. It's wanting to trade the old for the new, but there's a deeper level to coveting. On a deeper level, coveting is that inner grasp, that interior drive, that wants wholeness and peace and meaning and joy apart from God. So when God says don't covet, here's what he's really saying. I invite you to experience me in such a way that you're really content with who you are and what you have. And this is, this is really an interesting way to look at the Ten Commandments. So God gives the Ten Commandments. It's like the center of the Old Testament. And one way to look at the Ten Commandments is it's God's moral law. It's, it's, it's his standard. It's the thing by which he compares what is good versus what is not good, what is holy versus what is sinful. So if you read the Ten Commandments, you're not gonna get far in comparing them to your life in obedience, right? It shows us our sin, it exposes our sin. But it also points to our Savior and our need for a Savior. And also the Ten Commandments is the conduct that nourishes our relationship with God. If we obey God's law for the right reasons, we get closer to God. But another way to understand the Ten Commandments is cause and effect. Think about it. The first commandment is the cause. The last commandment is the, the effect. I've already told you the last commandment. Let me tell you the first commandment. The first commandment essentially says, um, have no other gods before me. Have no other God. Meaning, that's a negative way of saying the positive, love God with everything. Don't take created things and put them in the place of the creator. That's idolatry. That's having another God before you. So don't have other gods. Another way of saying, love God. 
Don't covet, last commandment, another way of saying, be content. Love God as the engine, be content as the caboose. If I love God and am experiencing his presence and his power in my life, contentment will follow my life. You tracking with me? This is a way to understand coveting as well. See, the thing that you covet is the result of an idol that you have. The thing that you covet is the thing that you believe, if I have this, this will save me. If I have this, this is my savior. The thing you covet, basically, coveting says, if I have this, my life will be complete. Now, I don't know what your this is, but you have a this. I have a this, you have a this, everybody has a this. The this is the thing that we believe will really make us happy if we have it. So if you're, if you're not married, you think if I get married, then this will be it. If you have this certain uh, you know, level in your career and you have this thing, if I have this, then no, right? If, if, you, if we have a child, then this. If we move into this neighborhood, if I get this it even gets lower. If I, if I get this new gadget or if I have this new, it's whatever your this is, you have a this. And that is the power of coveting because it says, if I have this, then I'm gonna be happy. Then I'm gonna be content. So if you can own your this, you can begin to get on the path of contentment. But you gotta know your this. Now, I'm not saying that your this isn't good. It's not bad to want a nice house, a better job. It's not a bad thing. The problem is when we don't understand the difference between coveting and contentment, we miss out on the secret of life. Coveting literally prevents us from knowing the secret of life. You guys want to know the secret of life? Is that okay with everybody? We'll get into that. Not a bad topic. Philippians 4.12. Paul says, I have learned the what? The secret. Here, here it is. Fa- of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, I remember reading this as a new Christian. I think the book of Philippians, the first time I ever heard the Bible taught, somebody was teaching through this book. And, and I remember reading it like and thinking, God has secrets? That's not fair. What, like he has these choice servants and he's always telling them secrets and and then maybe if you can get up close to one of them, right, that you can hear it? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is the way of contentment is not well known. It's like a secret. It's not experienced often. It's elusive. I think what he is describing is one of the most frustrating realities of the human condition, and that is this. There is this great desire in all of us for something that nothing in this world can satisfy. And so the way you get to contentment is indirect. You don't get to it directly. And so it's secretive. The path is not well known. It's not experienced by most people because they stop short of where it points. Uh, my family and I occasionally, only when we have to, go on road trips, long road trips. 
And long road trips with your family make tons of memories, most of them very bad memories, but they make a lot of memories. And so, you know, you have this planned out as a parent. You're like, okay, in four hours, we're going to stop, and we're going to get a snack, and we're going to stretch our legs. And then two more hours, we're going to stop, and we're going to eat, and then we're going to fill up with gas. And then you've got all these great plans, and then uh, kids or grandkids, and they're crying, and they're fighting, and they got to use the bathroom when not at the right time. And, and, and so, you know, you're trying your best on the trip. And you would never plan to stop at certain places, but there's like a tractor beam that happens uh, through a certain billboard that you will see on the road. And you would never choose to eat there because of how bad you feel once you've eaten there. I hope we don't have any franchise owners here. But uh, I have a love-hate relationship with McDonald's. But just imagine um, you're driving uh, you know, I, you know, in, in your car, and all of a sudden, you pull off the side of the road. You see the billboard, the wonderful golden arches. All the kids are now happy. And you pull off the side of the road, and you say, kids, out of the car, and surround the billboard. And with your family, you lead a little happy dance around the billboard. Now, this is what we do with things that bring a little bit of satisfaction in the earth. We stop at the billboard. And we don't go on to the reality. Now, you may not like my McDonald's illustration, but who doesn't like bread? All right. Actually, I don't like bread. Actually, I love bread. My body doesn't love bread. I have some, you know, some gluten issues, and then it goes right to my thighs when I eat it. So it's not good for me to eat bread. But this is my kryptonite. When I go to a restaurant, and they, sometimes they don't even ask you, they just bring it. But if they ask me, but I shouldn't eat it. But if, and if they have the butter, like any kind of butter is good. But then they say, we put cinnamon in our butter or honey in our butter. I'm like, it's over, man. And I, and I will literally take this bread and I will eat if I'm not careful. And, and when I do that, I violate the purpose of the bread. Because the, purpose, the, the bread is what's called an appetizer. And an appetizer, the word means to, listen, to stir the appetite. So what a good appetizer does is it stirs your appetite. It awakens your taste buds. It points you to a better meal. But if you fill up on the bread... You miss the meal. And so here's what happens. You eat too much bread, then half the steak, half the fish goes into a box, and then you eat it for leftovers, which ain't bad, but it's not as good as if you had had it right then and there. And this is what we do with contentment. This is why it's a secret. The things that bring contentment on the earth are pointers. They're pointers. Because... We're not meant to stay there. We're not meant to dance around the billboard. See, contentment's hard to find because of its secretive nature, but it's also hard to find because of our sinful nature because we as human beings tend to trust in our own resources, depend on our own strength, um, you know, look at our own abilities, and we rob contentment of its power because here's what contentment does. Contentment grounds us, it orients us, whether we're suffering or we're successful. And now, the most popular verse in the, in the earth right now, Philippians 4.13. You know it. 
I can do all things through him who gives me strength or Christ who gives me strength. Now, this, this verse was made popular by many athletes, but Tim Tebow was probably the one. In fact, he was on the news the other day, full suit on. He had the eye black on with Philippians 4.13 under his eyes. It is the most popular verse. Athletes, it, 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 everyone knows it. Most of us misapply it. Because the context uh, for Philippians 4.13 is not touchdowns and three-pointers. The context is failure and success, both. See, when you're depending on your own strength, you are crushed by your failure and you're made arrogant by your success. You're either beat up or blown up. And what happens is you're on an emotional roller coaster depending on if you're succeeding or failing. And you're up if it's good and you're down if it's bad. You're beat up or blown up. And this is the way, unfortunately, many of us as Christ followers live. Utterly dependent upon our circumstances for our own contentment. And you're totally at the whim of whether things are going well or bad. And, and so what happens is, it's mountains and valleys. And what this text is inviting us to is an equilibrium where the highs are awesome but we don't trust in them. And the lows, as painful as they are, don't, don't douse our hope. This is the way of contentment. This is the power of contentment. And it exposes our practical atheism. We may have a few philosophical atheists here. There's not many percentage-wise. That number is actually growing. But percentage-wise in the population across the world, as long as they've been doing these polls, there's not that many. There's not that many philosophical atheists. There's a lot of practical atheists. I are one of those many times. Because what, what a practical atheist does, they, they depend primarily on their own strength, and they live a lot of times as if God doesn't exist. Peggy Noonan, who's a writer for the Wall Street Journal, is a great writer, um, talks about this reality in our culture that we're living in a culture, maybe for the first time in human history, that doesn't understand that there are two worlds. Here's what she writes. She says, our ancestors believed in two worlds and understood this world to be the solitary, poor, nasty one. She says, we are the first among uh, those in the history of the world to believe that we can find our happiness completely here on earth. And our search for it has actually produced unhappiness. The reason why, she says, is if you do not believe in another higher world and you think that this world is your only chance of happiness, then when you're denied happiness in this world, you aren't just disappointed. You're in despair. What God does is he give us, gives us, as one author called them, perishable blisses, moments of pleasure, teases of satisfaction, to give us a little taste of heaven, but also to remind us that we are not in heaven and that there is another world, that there is a better meal, that there is a pointer to something greater. C.S. Lewis says it this way. 
He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world. There's a reason why that new house wears off. There's a reason why the new car smell goes away. There's a reason why a new relationship doesn't fix. There's a reason why. See, the FOMO thing loses energy fast. Because when you do the thing that you felt that if you could just do that and have that experience, it just leaves you wanting another experience because you were made for something bigger. You were made for something bigger. See, what's interesting is this, the question, um, how do I get content, is actually the same question, how do I experience Christ's strength? Same question. Another way to say it is this way. The place we are discontent is the place that we need God's specific strength. So go back to your number. What did you write down? I don't even, some of you may have written down at eight. God bless you. When we have people come and pray for others, come down and pray for us. We need some of that eight. But listen, you didn't say 10, did you? You didn't say 10, so there's a gap. Some of us said two, three. Some of us, truth be known, like you, we're a one because we, we, we're like giving God and maybe even life one more chance by being here. So wherever your gap is between one and 10, wherever you put yourself, that is the place God wants to meet you. That is the place you need strength. So what, what's our response? God, for, God meets those who forsake trying to get contentment on their own. God strengthens those who stop relying on their own strength. So that's our work. We gotta give up this notion that we're gonna get all of our happiness, all of our contentment, all of our peace, all of our joy on this earth. We gotta expose our this. What is your this? What is your this? And we just say, Lord, I'm sorry, I really did think moving into that neighborhood. I really did think getting that new job. I really did think getting married. I really thought having kids. I really, whatever. I really thought getting a scholarship. I really thought making that team. I re- whatever your this is, it's wonderful. It's, it's a good thing, but it's gotten in the way of the giver. It's gotten in the way. It's become an idol. It's become a good thing that you've made too important. It's a creative thing that you've elevated to the place of the creator, and it's not working by design. And so we give our this is to God. We give our gap, the space between what is and what ought to be in our numbers. We give that and say, Lord, this is where I need you right now. And so that's our opportunity as we go into our response time. God wants to meet us, but we have to get honest I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can say that. That's you. I. Put your name in there. You can do it, but you, but you can't. You've got to give up contentment outside of God. 
and we got to give up strengthening ourselves apart from his strength. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask the question, where in my life, where in my life am I discontent? Which is the same question, where do I need your strength? And so, Lord, we, we thank you that you remind us of all your good gifts through all the wonderful things in this world. Thank you that we don't live in a sterile, plastic world. It's beautiful. There's a reason we're tempted to worship it. It's beautiful. Beautiful people, beautiful stuff, beautiful creation. But Lord, I pray that we could just kind of see that stuff from a different vantage point, even right now. That we could see it as gifts that remind us of you. As little pieces and tastes of heaven that remind us that we're made for another world. So meet us, Lord. Give us hope. And, and, and help this explain some of our angst and our, our discouragement and our despair. We trust you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.